Chapter Four of the Shortstop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. The Shortstop by Zane Gray. Chapter Four Vicissitude. Not until he had leapt fences and crossed a half a dozen fields did Chase venture to look back. When he did so, he saw with immense relief that he had distanced his pursuers. Several were struggling along in front of the others, but all stopped running presently to send after him a last threatening shout. It made Chase as angry as a wet hornet. With all the power of his lungs, he yelled back at them, Hayseeds! Hayseeds! Then, at the sight of his bare knees, he took to laughing till he nearly cried. What would his brother Will have thought of that run? What would his mother have thought? This last sobered him instantly. Whenever he remembered her, the spirit of adventure fled, leaving him with only the uncertainty of his situation. It won't do to think of mother, he soliloquized, for then I'll lose my nerve. Now what'll I do if those dunderheaded hayseeds steal my pants? I'll be in a bad fix. He climbed a knoll which stood about a mile from the ball grounds, and from which he could see the surrounding country. The sun slowly sank in the west. Chase watched and watched, and strained his eyes, but he could not see anyone coming. The sun went down, leaving a red glow behind the hills. Twilight, like a gray shadow, seemed to steal toward him from the fields. He noted a haystack at the foot of the knoll, and after one more hopeless glance over the darkening meadows, he went down to it. He had visited farms in the country often enough to know that haystacks left to the cattle usually had caves in them, and he found this one with a deep cavern, dry, sheltered, and sweetly odorous of musty hay. "'If things keep up the way they've started for me, I'm likely to find worse beds than this,' he muttered. He discovered he was very tired and that the soft hay was conducive to a gradual relaxing of his muscles. But his mind whirled round and round. Would Hutchinson come? What happened to the other Brownsville players? A savage bunch of Indians, that Jacktown Nine. How easily it had been to fool them with a simple, slow outcurve. It's his crooked eye. He looks one way and pitches another. That jaunty umpire with his dainty shoes and velvet knickerbockers. Wherever on earth did he come from? So Chase played the game over in his mind, once more ran his desperate race to come back to his predicament and the fear that he might not recover his trousers. At length, sleep put an end to his worry. In the night he awoke, and seeing a bright star which only accentuated the darkness, and smelling the fragrant hay, and hearing a strange sound, he did not realize where he was and a chill terror crept over him. This soon passed. Still, the low sound bothered him. Stretching forth his hand, he encountered a furry coat and heaving warm body. A cow had sought the shelter of the haystack, and lay beside him chewing her cud. "'Hello, bossy,' said Chase. "'I'd certainly rather sleep with a nice, gentle cow like you than a dead, bad nigger.' The strangeness of it all kept him awake for a while. The night was very quiet, the silence unbroken save for the peep-peep 
of spring frogs and the low munch beside him. He asked himself if he were afraid, and said no, but he was not sure. Things seemed different in the dark and loneliness of the night. Then his brother's words, hang on, rang out of the silence, and repeating these in his heart, he treasured up strength for the future, and once more fell asleep. The sun was rosy red on the horizon when he awakened. His gentle friend stood browsing on the grass near at hand, and by way of beginning the day well he said good morning to her. Now what to do, he said seriously. There's no use to expect anyone now, and no use to go back to look for my trousers. The problem seemed unsolvable when he saw a farmer in the field evidently come out to drive up the cows. Chase covered his nakedness as well as possible with his coat, and hailed him. The farmer came up, slapped his knee with a big hand, and guffawed. "'Gall dern my buttons if you ain't that chase-away feller. Say, I was over there yesterday, and I seen the whole show. Best thing I ever seen, by gosh. I'm a Brownsville boy, I am. Now you come along with me. I'll get a pair of overalls for you, and a bite to eat.' but you must light out quicker'n you'd say Jack Robinson, for two of my farmhands played yesterday, and they're hoppin' mad. The kind-hearted farmer hid Chase in a woodshed near his house, and presently brought him a pair of overalls and some breakfast. Chase right gladly covered his chilly legs. Once more he felt his spirits rise. Fortunately his pocket-book had been in his coat, so it was not lost. When he offered to pay the farmer, that worthy refused to accept any money, and said that he and everybody who was ever born in Brownsville were everlastingly bound to be grateful to a lad called Chaseaway. Then, under direction from the farmer, Chase started cross-country with the intention of finding the railroad and making for Columbus. When he reached the railroad, he had to take the spikes off his baseball shoes, for they hurt his feet. He started westward along the track. Freight trains passed him going too fast for him to board, so he walked all day. Nightfall found him at a village, where after waiting an hour he caught a westbound freight, and reached Columbus at ten o'clock. He stumbled round over the tracks in the yards, climbed over trains, and made his way into the city. He secured a room in a cheap lodging-house, and went to bed. In the morning he got up bright and early had breakfast, and bought a copy of the Ohio State Journal. He knew Columbus had a baseball team in the Tri-State League, and he wanted to read the news. The very first column he saw on the baseball page contained in flaring headlines the words, Chase Away, The Crooked Eye Wonder, Hoodoo's The Great Jacktown Nine. He could not believe his eyes, but the words were there, and they must have reference to him. With feverish haste he read the detailed account that followed the headlines. He gathered that the game had been telephoned to the baseball editor of the journal, who, entirely overlooking Jacktown's tragical point of view, had written the game up in a spirit of fun. He had written it so well, and had drawn such a vivid picture of the Jacktown players, and especially his own chase-away, with his shirt-tails flying, that Chase laughed despite his mortification and chagrin. He gloomily tore the notice out, put it in his pocket, and started off to put Columbus far behind him. The allusion to his crooked eye hurt his feelings, and he resolved never to pitch another game of ball. There were other positions he could play better. It was Chase's destiny to learn that wherever he went his fame had preceded him. 
In Black Lick, he was told he might get a rail ride there. At Newark, the wise boy fans recognized him at once and hooted him off the ground before he could see the manager of the team. The Mansfield captain yelled for him to take himself and his hoodoo off into the woods. Goliath players laughed in his face. Upper Sandusky wags advised him to go back to scaring crows in the cornfields. Every small town in Ohio, as well as every large one, supported a baseball club, and Chase dragged himself and the hoodoo that haunted him from place to place. The Niles team played him in right field one day, and losing the game promptly set him adrift. He got a chance on the Warren Nine, and here again his hoodoo worked. Lima had a weak aggregation, and readily gave him an opportunity to make good. He was nervous and overstrained, and made five errors, losing the game. He drifted to Toledo, to Cleveland, thence back to Toledo, and over to Michigan. It seemed that fortune favored him with opportunities that he could not grasp. Adrian, Jackson, Lansing, Owasso, Flint, all the clubs took him on for a game, lost it, and further spread the fame of his hoodoo. Chase's money had long since departed him. His clothes became ragged and unclean. Small boys called him hobo, and indeed, in all except heart, he was that. For he rode on coal trains and cattle trains, and begged his few and scanty meals at the back doors of farmhouses. In every town he came to, he would search out the baseball grounds, waylay the manager or captain, say he was a player, and ask for a chance. Toward the end of this time of vicissitude, no one had interest enough in him to admit him to the grounds. Back he worked into Ohio, growing more weary and more downhearted, till black despair fixed on his heart. One morning he awoke stiff and sore in a fence corner outside of a town. He asked the woman who gave him bread to eat what the name of the town was, and she said, Findlay. Chase thought bitterly of how useless it would be to approach the manager of that team, for Findlay was in the league, and moreover, had been for two years the crack team of Ohio. He did not even have any intention of trying. There was nothing left for him but to go back home and beg to be taken into the factory at his old job and poor wages. They did not seem so bad now after all his experience. Alas for his dreams! It occurred to him in wonder that he had persisted for a long time in the face of adverse circumstances. It was now June, though he did not know the date, and he had started out in May. Why had he kept on? For weeks he had not thought of his mother and brother, and now, quite suddenly, they both flashed into his mind. Then he knew why he persisted, and he knew more, that he would never give up. He saw her smile, and the warm light of faith in Will's eyes, and he heard his last words, Hang on, Chase, hang on. End of chapter 4